Truth News Network. A sitting president admits his actions are unconstitutional, but says while it's being litigated, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. This is the man sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution. It's time for some pushback, and that starts with the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, spells it out. And with today's Chalk Talk, Dan Newman. Yeah, pushback America. <laughs> That's what we are here at TNN Live, and guess what? We are celebrating Christmas week. We can't wait. I'm looking forward to Christmas Day. I'm sure you are too. Friends, family, that's what this is all about. And to get you in the spirit, if you're not already there, listen. Christmas classic, Gloria. 
Dominic goes by Doe Jones, was the lead singer there. And uh, she calls me Uncle Dan. I was honored to be the executive producer of her family's first and second albums. Couple of Grammy nominations. She wrote a song that won a stellar award, a song of the year. And she's nominated for two Grammys now. And I can tell you this, there's not a better human being on the planet than Doe or Dominique Jones. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Christmas week. I'm so glad that I could join you in your Christmas week. This is a great holiday, a great holiday season. For the next two weeks, it's just like everybody can sit back and just take a breath of fresh air. And if you live in the upper Midwest, I'm sorry to say, but your breath is going to be frozen. Oh my gosh, it's going to get cold this week. My wife yesterday, she thinks ahead. She's one of those forward-thinking human beings. And she went around on one side of our house where our big wood pile is, and she used a little wheelbarrow that we use exclusively for moving firewood from that side of the house to the other side of the house where it's open a door on the patio and grab a stick or two of wood, throw on the fireplace. I promise you, Christmas Day this year, we will have a fire in the Newman house. And I'm sure most of you listening, you will too. And for those of you that are right now wearing shorts and sandals, and it's just a little bit before you'll go out on the beach and walk the beach, shame on you. You shouldn't be doing that. It's Christmas week. I'm jealous. Oh, I love the beach. Man, I love the beach. We're a beach family. We always have been. When our kids were very, very little, I mean, one of them still in diapers, we went to Destin, Florida, and almost every summer since, the Newman family has spent at least a week, sometimes two weeks, on the beach. And all three of the Women of my household love the beach. Now, let me tell you what I do too, but here's my version of the beach. When we go for a week, the first day, they know dad's out because I'm upstairs sleeping, relaxing, just trying to catch up. My perfect place to be when we go to the beach, we always get a condo looking onto the beach My perfect place is to be on the back porch with a ceiling fan going in the shade, reading or listening to something, and hearing the waves just lapping up on that crystal white sand of northwest Florida. i got to be honest with you. Oh, and an occasional big old fat cigar. (laughs) I, I must be honest with you. I love the beach in Destin, Florida more than the beach in Hawaii, more than the beach in the Caribbean. And I'm telling you, the sand is wider and the water almost just as crystal clear as in some places in the Caribbean. And it is clearer than it is in Hawaii. One thing about Hawaii, the sand is brown. And once you get used to that bleached white sand, it's hard to go back to the, to the brown and I love Hawaii, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, uh, Maui. Both on the northwest coast of Maui where um, 
the waves are really, really big. I like it up there because it's a little different, but southwest on Maui, it's really nice. Beach, water, warm temperatures. Now listen to me, I'm talking about it, and I just told you we're all going to be cold this week. We'll just make the best of wherever we are. How about we do that? We have so many things to share with you today. And uh, first of all, let me say thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your Christmas week. We've had a good year, most of it, almost all of it, because of you. And I want to say thank you for your sharing, your being here, your listening, your reading of all of our offerings at truthnewsnet.org. Sometimes we talk about rough things, things that none of us really want to talk about. We'll have some of that this morning. We talk about very important things all the time, and it's important always simply because we need to understand what's really going on in our world. We get so much shoved down our throats. It's hard to discern the real from the unreal, the good from the bad, the the legal from the illegal. It just it just gets muddled. And I think a lot of that muddling is purposeful, and I believe you agree with me there. God bless Elon Musk. I don't care what anybody in government or anybody on the left say. Elon Musk became a truther. In my verbiage, in my opinion, he became a truther when he started with the Twitter feeds, the dumps. Why? Because all he's doing is exposing what's really there. When Donald Trump was running for president, we came up with the swamp creature thing. We actually have some pictures on the top of some of the stories we wrote back in 2016 when Donald Trump was running and um, had a picture of a big swamp creature. And Trump was going to drain the swamp. And he got a lot of it drained. Let's be honest, though. There's a lot of the swamp creature leftover stuff that's still there. Elon Musk, with his Twitter dumps, has really opened opened the, um, I guess basically turned the lights on in the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about. In the middle of the night, especially in the summer, in many homes in the south, you walk into the kitchen, turn the lights on, and what happens? Roaches scramble. They're looking for a place to hide. That pretty much epitomizes Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump turned the light on. Joe Biden turned it off as quickly as he could. But it's too late. We actually have dark kitchen vision. We have people that continue to turn the light on. Now, they'll try real quick to turn it off. Some cases, they're good at it. Some cases they're not. And thankfully, we have Truth News Network and other like-minded people that are out there bringing you the facts, the truth. Now, social media is front and center in everybody's conversations. So with this restoration of free speech protection on Twitter that Elon's bringing us, panic has grown on the left, as it should. They're scared because... It's control. Mainstream media's control over social media could come to an end. Now some of the greatest advocates of censorship in Congress 
or already warning Facebook, don't you follow Twitter in restoring free speech in its platform. Just imagine if we had both Twitter and Facebook being opaque and honest and letting us see who's doing what in the way of censorship. Both of those entities would be toast in a short matter of of time because we wouldn't need them. In a chilling letter from Representative Adam Schiff of California, Andre Carson of Indiana, Kathy Castor of Florida, and Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. All of those are Democrats in Congress. In that letter, Facebook was given a not-so-subtle threat that reducing its infamous censorship system, if they do that like Elon Musk has, it's going to invite some congressional action. The letter to Meta, the parent company of Facebook, to Meta's president of global affairs, Nick Clegg, is written on congressional stationery as part of our ongoing oversight efforts, the letter said, with House Republicans already pledging to investigate some social media censorship when they get control in January. These four Democrats are trying to force Facebook to recommit to censoring opposing views and make election censorship policies permanent. Otherwise, they say, they might be forced to exercise oversight into any move by Facebook to alter or roll back certain misinformation policies. In addition to their demanding that Facebook preserve its bans on figures like former President Trump, they now say they want Facebook to expand its censorship overall because Unlike other major social media platforms, Meta's policies don't prohibit posts that make unsubstantiated claims about voter fraud. Wait a minute. You know what they have not done? Not one of these Democrats that I gave you the names of a moment ago. Not one of them has weighed in on the validity, the truth, or the untruth that's full in that documentary, 2,000 Mules. That last sentence I told you that they wrote in this letter to Meta, quote, unlike other major media platforms, Meta's policies do not prohibit posts that make unsubstantiated claims about voter fraud. If you saw 2,000 Mules, you know that everything anybody can say about voter fraud in the 2020 election was right. It's truthful. Clegg, this big guy at Meta, Clegg has given Schiff's telephone number to discuss Facebook's compliance. That's an ironic contact point for a letter on censoring disformation, don't you think? After all, Adam Schiff was one of the members of Congress who before the 2020 election pushed the false claim that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Russia, Russia, Russia. And he's been criticized for pushing false narratives on Trump-Russia collusion in the 2016 election. We're still waiting. 
I mean, Adam Schiff again and again and again said, I've got uncontroverted evidence that proves Donald Trump colluded with Russia to get elected in 2016, but he never let anybody see it. And he kept doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on that claim. I guess he thinks all of us are too stupid to pick up on the fact that he's a hardcore leftist that has no hold whatsoever on the truth. The letter to Clegg is reminiscent of another letter sent by several congressional Democrats Democrats to cable TV carriers last year. Remember this? They demanded to know why these cable TV carriers continue to carry Fox News. <laughs> why? It's got the number one Nighttime news programming. That's why they don't want it there. It's conservative. And you get the truth at Fox most of the time. In congressional testimony, it was an open effort by those Democrats to censor opposing views by proxy or even by surrogate. This ain't the first time that some members of Congress have not so subtly warned social media companies to expand the censorship of political and scientific views when they consider them to be wrong. And I did say, ain't. It ain't the first time. (laughs) In a November 2020 Senate hearing, then Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, he apologized for censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. But yeah, he's the former Twitter CEO, so it really doesn't care any weight any longer, but he did tell the truth. But old Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, he warned, you better listen, Mr. Dorsey, you better listen, Twitter. He warned that he and his Senate colleagues would not tolerate any backsliding or retrenching by failing to take action against dangerous disinformation. And then there's Senator Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, a Democrat from Massachusetts. She's called on social media companies to use, I love this, enlightened algorithms to protect people from their own bad choices. Can you believe that? Look, son, look, You shouldn't be watching that Fox News programming out there. They're spewing that ugly, incorrect information about things like election fraud. After all, as Joe Biden asked, without censorship and wise editors, you got to put those together. How do people know the truth? Let me stop there for a second and say, look, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm sick and tired of these Democrats. It's all Democrats. Now, there are some rhino Republicans, and we all know who they are, Mitch McConnell, um, that pretty much lean more left than they do right now. We know that. But it's typically Democrats. And guys, here's the thing that Anybody that is not a hardcore leftist must understand and must put out there. you got to let people know. We are capable of discernment of facts compared to fiction. 
We don't need you to tell us every day, all day, that something's right or it's disinformation. We don't need you for that. We're big boys and girls. I wear big boy panties, and I know the difference. My wife knows the difference. Our kids know the difference. Our grandchildren know the difference. Why? Because they were taught the difference between right and wrong and how to discern what's right and what's wrong. With all this stuff going on right now, it's not hard to see the cause for alarm, and we are facing loud alarm bells. This hold-the-line warning that's coming from Democrats to social media, it's meant to stop a cascading failure in the once insurmountable wall of social media censorship. It was piled way high, and it's falling apart, thank God. If Facebook were to restore free speech protections, the control over social media is going to evaporate. If Facebook goes, Twitter's going to go, and then the other ones are going to go. Despite an effort by the left to boycott Twitter, cut off advertising, users are signing up in record numbers. You know why? It's what I just told you. We can discern truth and fiction. And people, now that Elon Musk is operating Twitter and his policies are there that are applauding real free speech, Americans want to go there. A recent poll shows a majority of us support Elon Musk's ongoing efforts to change Twitter to a more free and transparent platform. I got to be honest with you, this pressure on Facebook, it's, it's, it's ironic to me, given that the company's previous efforts to get the public to accept even welcome censorship. Twitter ran a creepy ad campaign about how young people should accept censorship or what they call content modification. It's all part of the Orwellian parlance. It's all just like George Orwell warned us about. In 1984, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Most people are not eager to buy into censorship. Instead, many of them apparently are buying into Twitter. Ooh. And remember, Facebook is about 10 times the size worldwide of Twitter. Not for long, though. Censorship, when it comes, it comes at a cost, not only to free speech, but clearly to these companies. Nevertheless, some members of Congress are demanding Facebook and other companies offer the last full measure of devotion to the cause of censorship. Despite the clear preferences of the public, the public want more free speech. Despite that, Facebook is being asked to turn its back on them. Oh, by the way, and Facebook's shareholders and continue to exclude dissenting views on issues ranging from COVID to climate change. These members know that censorship only works if there are no other alternatives, no choices. This sounds like Russia to me and Red China. The problem for these dissenters is there are 
alternatives. Believe it or not, Fox News has more Democrats watching it than left-leaning rivals CNN, which now faces its own massive cuts and plummeting ratings. Why is that? People don't like it. And all it's been dependent on for all these years, I'm talking about CNN and MSNBC, is all the money their parent companies have been willing to throw into their programming operations because neither makes money. In fact, they lose buttloads full of money. This type of pressure worked in the past because individual executives, they're loathe to be tagged personally in these campaigns. They can't stand it. But their companies are paying the price in carrying out these directives from Congress. The people don't want it. They don't support it. In fact, they run the other way. In the past, many companies willingly, if not eagerly in the case of pre-Musk Twitter, carried out censorship as surrogates of like the FBI and the Biden administration. And there really been the internal Twitter documents that were exposed in the releases by Musk have indicated some public officials knew they could go around the First Amendment by getting these companies to block opposing views by proxy, which is illegal. That is censorship of the First Amendment by proxy, which a government cannot do. It's unconstitutional. But the public and the marketplace may succeed where the Constitution could not. And that's precisely what these officials fear as they can they see the control of social media eroding heading toward the 2024 election. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, once famously told his company to move fast and break things. Move fast and break things. When it comes to censorship, however, these members of Congress are warning, not so fast. If Facebook is considering a break in favor of free speech, you better lock your doors, folks, because it's going to turn into a war. And I'm glad all of this is in an uproar. When we get it out for people to see and listen to, people can discern right from wrong and what's constitutional and what's not. Now, let me say this. We've got a war going on already at our southern border. People don't realize how bad it is. Why? Because none of mainstream media is covering it yet. They're not. The mayor of El Paso has declared a disaster because of humanitarian, security, and economic crises resulting from mass migration already through his city. This declaration comes as thousands of migrants continue to cross from Mexico into El Paso in advance of the end of Title 42 protocol that happens on Wednesday, two days. Freezing temperatures there also are in the forecast for the coming week while hundreds of migrants are camping out on the streets of El Paso. There's a song about 
the streets of El Paso. They don't look like the song portrayed them to look like now. The surge of migrant crossings only expected to increase following the termination of Title 42 migrant removal protocol on Wednesday led El Paso Mayor Oscar Lesser to declare a state of disaster. In a four-page disaster declaration, he laid out the cause for the emergency actions. They include, in part, thousands of migrants gathered at or near the U.S.-Mexico border, the expected end of Title 42 due to a court order, the release of migrants by Border Patrol officials onto the streets of El Paso with little to no resources, the lack of city resources for transportation and housing, the arrival in December of approximately 6,000 migrants every week, the lack of resources at local NGOs, non-government operations, to care for migrants, the release of more than 40,000 migrants by Border Patrol to NGO and city streets. Now, this is reality. This is where rubber meets the road. This, my friends, really is an emergency. The mayor of El Paso, he cited concerns for an imminent threat of widespread injury or loss of life resulting from the migrant surge, temperatures drop below freezing, and the increased demand on local shelters that are already above capacity. Democrat State Senator Cesar Blanco, who's a Democrat in El Paso, tweeted a statement of support for the mayor's disaster declaration. Here's what his statement. Senator Cesar Blanco, our border community is facing an extraordinary humanitarian crisis. Over the last week, the city of El Paso has experienced a major surge in migrant crossings. It's put a strain on our local resources. To date, our local community has responded to the surge with a dignified and respectful approach. Our office has been working with community leaders from the local, state, and federal levels to address this crisis and support local requests for additional resources from the state of Texas. However, the situation has superseded our local government's capacity. And with Title 42 set to enter tomorrow, the demand for resources is elevated. I support the city of El Paso's declaration of disaster to activate a whole-of-government approach to addressing this unprecedented crisis. Mayor Lesser previously resisted the issuance of an emergency declaration. He said the he expects an incredible increase in migrant crossing that could be as high as 6,000 per day. There's not a city in America that can absorb this kind of crush of migrants. You got to understand, this isn't people kind of like us. You know, golly, I've been, I don't know how many times I've been to Mexico in my life. I've been there fishing, amazing bass fishing in the mountains. Um, I've been there at least three or four times doing that. I've been to Cabo three times. Um, I've been to the other one, the other resort. Cozumel, it's 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 beautiful. It's not. This is not like us wanting to go over there, and we're going to go in there for a week or two. This is 
6,000 people every day. 6,000 every day. I don't know if you can hear that. I've turned that down. 6,000 every day coming to one place, El Paso. Now think about that. What city in the United States of America has the infrastructure, I mean, to honestly take care of 6,000 people every day? I don't know of a city. I would say the Big Apple would be because it's the biggest. You would think they would have that capacity, but they can't handle a hundred or so every day. The mayor there has screamed and hollered when he was just getting a few. And the Biden administration has done nothing. Absolutely nothing. Believe it or not, we have a huge inland city that is declaring a disaster, an emergency situation, declaring an emergency for the same reasons. We're going to take our first break of the hour, but when we come back, you're going to hear about this this other big city. And I couldn't believe it when I heard it. I thought, yeah, just because it's a big city, has all the infrastructure in place. And, of course, they're going to get a little help from Uncle Joe. He's going to send them some money. He's into that. Giving money away that's not his, but it's taxpayers. Meanwhile, Joe is getting walls built at his home on the beach in Delaware, and you and I are paying the tax bill on that and also the maintenance of his three other properties. Hey, 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 Uncle Joe, we elected you to be president. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... <sighs> My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. <laughs> I cough all the time. Seriously? <sighs> I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
God, that's one of the best bands ever. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Whew, they were good. Man, I used to love their music. Uh, when I was uh, owner in the Arena Football League at, uh, it was in Las Vegas. We had the Arena Bowl, which is this Super Bowl of the Arena Football League. They had it in Las Vegas, and they had Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, it brought back some great memories. There were some great bands back in the 80s and the 90s, weren't there? They hung around. There are still some of these same guys out there. A lot of us remember it. (laughs) Our kids hear it, and they go like, oh, my gosh. How could you listen to that, Dad? It's just simply because I like it when you've got a melody that's consistent and you can hear the words, and the words that you hear are decent, and they say something. I mean, that's what music should be about, saying something. And if you say something in a song, it needs to be such that the people that are listening can hear what you're saying to get the meaning for what your intentions are in doing that song. I guess that just makes too much sense. I don't know, and I'm not going to try to figure it out anymore. Where is that other big city? Denver, Denver, Colorado. Mayor Michael Hancock, who's a Democrat, by the way, he's declared a state of emergency there. Over 1.1% of Joe Biden's record-breaking number of illegals are arriving in his city. Now, that's not a border town. Denver's a long way from the Mexican border. Days ago, Mayor Hancock issued an emergency as fewer than 650 border crossers and illegals have arrived in Denver in recent weeks after being released into the interior now by the Biden administration. This influx of illegals to Denver has, I'm quoting the mayor now, put an immense strain on city recourses to the level where they're on the verge of reaching a breaking point at this time. It's a crisis point right now, and cities all over the country are being forced to deal with something we're not equipped to deal with. Now, only 250 border crossers and illegals have showed up in Denver last week, and another 400 that are already in city shelters, and that's just a small fraction of Biden's record-breaking, at least 5.5 million southern border encounters since he took office. Five and a half, five and a half million. Those are the ones we know about. How many gotaways are out there? Mary Hancock is only one of many Democrat politicians that are complaining about rising illegal immigration levels, even as they have traditionally championed the plight of illegals. Gavin Newsom, California's governor, fierce proponent of the state sanctuary state policy. He recently said the constant flow of illegals to the U.S. is particularly a burden to his state and causing budgetary pressures. How long, how long do you think it's going to be before some of these heavyweights get Joe Biden's attention? And he finally says, well, enough's enough and does something. And he doesn't need to go to Congress to do it. It's in the Constitution. The federal government has the unilateral authority and the responsibility to regulate 
the southern border, and the president is supposed to enforce all rules of law. And there are a plethora of federal laws about illegal immigration that this president is thumbing his nose at. And that, my friends, according to the Constitution, is an impeachable offense. Oh, but those those Democrats, they would think if anybody even used the I word, excuse me, and Joe Biden's name, oh my gosh, that would be treasonous in their opinion. So I think it's a pretty good idea. Let's get a little roundup, Monday morning roundup. Hunter Biden, Pelosi, and Musk. Let's just go around the around the table. A New York City art gallery unveiling a new painting by Hunter Biden, and the asking price is $225,000. Jimmy Fela is the host of Fox Across America. That's a lot. That's, that's big money, and if you think the price is high, you should meet the painter. Hey, everybody, good to see you. Come on now. But the reason this is, it does look bad. Like, no administration has ever cared less about optics than this one, because I think the belief is they don't expect backlash from the press. But understand, prior to Joe Biden becoming the president, there was no market for Hunter Biden, okay? He wasn't a known commodity in the art world. The only thing he was known for, forgive me, right. is painting the town, mm-hmm. okay? There was no demand for this. Right. So it looks a little ridiculous that they might be peddling a little influence here, and this very much overlaps with the accusation in the Hunter Biden laptop that these guys just traded on the name. At the mm-hmm. very least, they seem to be doing that here. You're two for two in answer number one. I, that's like <laughs> his version of Starry Starry Night. That's yep. What I see. <laughs> so apparently the guy running the gallery says Hunter's been a painter for years. He's an oddity. Yeah. Okay. Mm. He's always been an artist, but mm. there was a difference between painting on your own and saying, okay, that's all I'm going to do. And I'm just going to uh-huh. be an artist. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy that. Okay. They're yeah, not like taking that. a company public. Everybody wanted a piece of, but the one thing is it's only 200,000 for Hunter. Cause he's got to give 10% of the sale to the big guy. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah, right, there topic number two, Nancy Pelosi's daughter apparently mm-hmm. says her mom is tough to crack. Mm-hmm. Listen here. Soundbite. Watch. No, there's no catching her off guard. My life's work has been trying to get her to go off guard, but it doesn't happen. She eats nails for breakfast. And ice cream in the afternoon. (laughs) Fancy ice cream. Do you remember that nice pint she had during the lockdown? Everyone stay home while I eat a $32 pint of ice cream. Uh, The thing I like about HBO, though, is they chose a director that clearly didn't have a horse in this race. Clearly. She has no interest in pushing the subject. I mean, I thought it was a little ridiculous. I I, I don't doubt people will enjoy this because Nancy Pelosi's iconic. I disagree with her, but she's great at her job. She's very good at getting the votes, but I wouldn't watch this at gunpoint. Let me ask you about this. Um, Elon Musk going on yeah. top, going on the, on the record uh-huh. Uh-huh. on how he feels about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He tweeted this. Uh, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. <laughs> and then there's a picture that he did that really got the folks upset yeah. saying, just one more lockdown, my king. <laughs> so I mean, you know where he's coming on that. But also, yeah. in, uh, on a serious note, mm-hmm. he is releasing this information that Twitter yes. throttled down anyone who they didn't agree with mm-hmm. on science. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because obviously, you know, what Fauci and what he represents here, okay, um, and what Elon is trying to do, there's some overlap. And what I mean by this, just so we're clear, is I think this is an unforced error by Elon Musk. Because the reason he's showing the light of day to all of these internal censorship efforts was to prove how corrupt the previous regime was. He is now simultaneously inserting himself into this debate by taking what many consider to be a political position. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that this was the right move, but I find it really funny. 
right. and uh, after the weekend I had in Oklahoma City, I'm just glad no one is calling to prosecute me. Okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that was a, there's time. Well, the statute of limitations has yes. expired yet. Yeah. Oh, thanks, so, Hammer. Yeah, no. Thanks for nothing. Sheriff, knocking on your I guess, door. I guess you'll never going back to Oklahoma. <laughs> no time soon. Jimmy, gotta, thank you. Happy you Monday to you. It's kind of cool to get a roundup from that uh, that gang at uh, at Fox News, what's going on. Man, there's so much that happens every day. You just get lost trying to keep up with it. I mean, we're in this business, and it's tough for us. Now, let's do some Twitter stuff. A recent report from the New York Post is claiming that Twitter's top ranks are filled with ex-FBI agents, and some of them are now Twitter executives. Many of these were swept away by Elon Musk's massive layoffs, but some feds are likely still on Twitter's payroll. Over a dozen former federal officials reportedly joined Twitter in the years before Musk bought it. An investigation by the Post found that while James Baker, you remember that name? He's the FBI's former general counsel who worked in the same capacity at Twitter, and he started the Russia-Russia collusion investigation. Baker made headlines after he got fired by Elon Musk. The FBI's influence spread much further than just Twitter's legal department. This latest investigation comes right after the release of another round of the Twitter files, which appear to show the FBI dedicated dozens of agents to pressure Twitter to remove political tweets that they did not like. Twitter did not like. The FBI did not like them because they were honest. They were telling the truth and it made the government, the Biden administration, look bad. In many cases, the former FBI guys were in positions of leadership that would allow them to directly influence censorship of the post-Hunter Biden laptop story coverage right before the 2020 election. One Twitter employee named Matthew Williams joined the company in June of 2020, and his title was Senior Director of Product Trust. Senior Director of Product Trust. Remind me at the end of this, I've got something to tell you about this whole process going on. Oh, Matt. He spent more than 15 years working with the FBI as an intelligence program manager and senior supervisory intelligence analyst. And he just went right from the FBI to Twitter. Williams joined Twitter the same month as James Baker. And in June of 2022, he was moved into the position of senior director of product trust, revenue policy, council systems, and analytics. He noted that this made him co-lead of trust and safety. Don Burton, a former federal prosecutor who served as deputy chief of staff to FBI boss James Comey, Don joined Twitter in September of 2019 as director of strategy and operations and council organization. Burton would have been close to the FBI's Hillary Clinton email investigation because of her connection with Comey 
and the agency's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. In other words, she was plugged into the disinformation crap. It also reported that Joel Roth, you've heard that name a lot lately, the leader of Twitter's trust and safety team, had regular meetings with the FBI in the run-up to the 2020 election and even joked about those meaning in internal company communications. In a December 21, 2020 declaration to the FEC, Noel Roth wrote this, I was told in these meetings that the intelligence community expected that individuals associated with campaigns, you know, political campaigns, would be subject to hacking attacks and that material obtained through those hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms. And that, of course, would include Twitter. He, he said, I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. And these are just a couple of examples of the number of FBI folks in high-ranking official positions at Twitter. All of this coming out, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then there's Shifty Schiff, Adam Schiff. He, of course, made the rounds. He was on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday. And he said, here we go, President Donald Trump violated multiple criminal laws. So here comes that CNN sycophant. Nobody can stand him. Jake Tapper. Tapper said, quote, You're a former federal prosecutor before you became a member of Congress. Do you think the evidence is there that Donald Trump committed any of the crimes I just mentioned and that the cases are prosecutable, that you could get a conviction? And, of course, Adam Schiff, he he can't turn away an opportunity for a television interview. Schiff said, I think the evidence is there that Donald Trump committed criminal offenses in connection with his efforts to overturn the election. Viewing it as a former prosecutor, I think there's sufficient evidence to charge the president. Now, at that point, if this guy was legitimate, he was really a prosecutor, was really a I'm-going-to-follow-the-law member of the U.S. Congress, he would then morph into the specific criminal acts that he's referencing that Trump committed and what, if he was convicted of these acts, would be the penalties. But listen to this. Schiff did continue saying, this is someone who, in multiple ways, tried to pressure state officials to find votes that didn't exist. This is someone who tried to interfere with a joint session even inciting a mob to attack the Capitol. If that's not criminal, then I don't know what is. Well, (laughs) those were three things that Schiff said that are criminal offenses that Donald Trump should be prosecuted for, and they were real. But none of the three, none of the three, the specific things Schiff was referencing were illegal. 
Jake Tapper then said, so you're going to vote yes on insurrection, on referring insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to defraud the federal government, all three? Schiff added, oh, I can't comment on what referrals we're going to make. We will have a vote on referrals as well as approving our overall report, but I can tell you our process has been to look meticulously at the evidence and compare it to various statutes. Is there sufficient evidence as to each element of a particular crime? We're not referring or won't be voting to refer everyone we think there may be evidence because we want to focus on those for which we believe there's the strongest evidence. Did you listen to what he said? It was a simple question, Tapper. He asked him, so you're going to vote yes on insurrection, on referring insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding and conspiracy to defraud the federal government, all three? If Adam Schiff was decent, if he was honest, if he was even real, he would have said yes. Because he said above this in the interview, oh, we've got facts. And so Schiff laid out his evidence. Quote, I can't comment on what referrals we're going to make. We will have a vote on referrals as well as approving our overall report. But I can tell you, our process has been to look meticulously at the evidence and compare it to various statutes. Is there sufficient evidence to each element of a particular crime? We're not referring or won't be voting to refer everyone we think there may be evidence because we want to focus on those for which we believe there's the strongest evidence. (laughs) If Tapper was a real, if he was a real news person, he would have jumped all over that at the end of it. Here's exactly what I would have said. Mr. Schiff, you said above that there was plenty of things the president is guilty of that you guys could refer to the Department of Justice to prosecute him for committing federal crimes. You're not willing at this point to give us evidence to back up what you said were factual things? Here's what Tapper did say. Do you think he committed insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to defraud the federal government? And here comes Shifty Schiff. I'm quoting what he said. I will say I think the president has violated multiple criminal laws, and I think he has to be treated like any other American who breaks the law, and that is he should be prosecuted. This is typical Adam Schiff. All the claims at the top, and then no factual evidence to back up the claims, ever. Never. I don't know why, but Adam Schiff despises Donald Trump. Now, all of you that listen to this show, and I'm going to include myself in this, we all wished, and still do, that the former president would say things in a different way, and some things... Don't even say them at all. My brother is a pastor, longtime pastor of a church, a good church, great Christian man. And he said to me several times, Dan, oh my goodness, I wish the president would tone down his rhetoric. 
I wish he wouldn't be so mean when he talks to people and talks about people. I wish he would just concentrate on the facts because I know he's pushing a lot of people away just by the way he says his messages, not the messages themselves, but the way he says them. And he told me that three or four times through the first couple of years of the Trump administration. And I finally told him, I said, hey, listen, I, I feel the same way you do. I wish he would stop. But his talking the way that he talks and the things that he says are factual, even with the dirty stuff around it, the fluff that you and I don't like, that resonates with tens of millions of Americans, many blue-collar Americans, many that are so hacked off on the way government has been run over the last eight years especially, they won't change. And this guy has convinced them that if we elect him, he's going to make the changes. And he has started and he will continue to make the changes and I'm finished with that part of the conversation, but I'll add this. He did everything he promised in his campaign he was going to do that he could do flying solo. The only things that he promised that he did not get done or the things that he could not get done because it required Congress to come on a board and join him fulfilling the promises that he made during his campaign and people voted for him in part because they wanted them done. People just got to understand principles based on principles without question. Nobody can credibly say that former president Donald Trump when it comes to getting things done that he promised he would do, there's not another president in our history that's done a better job. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, we talk a lot about mainstream media, legacy media, whatever they call themselves. They change that, I guess every few weeks, they change the moniker. They want us to label them with something a little more benign. I'll just put it 
in the right perspective, the lying media, the chief among them always have been the New York Times. Now, because we're a media outlet here, I, uh, I subscribed for several years to the New York Times, Washington Post, and I got to be honest with you, and, and I, I do the Wall Street Journal. Those are the three big ones that I do. Uh, I've got subscriptions to the Epoch Times, a conservative outlet, and others that we we rely on here for news that uh, don't require subscriptions. But finally, I got to be honest with you. I just I just tanked the New York Times subscription, and I did it because I could never rely on what I heard. Never. It was always, always was political opinion. The way they would write their stories, they would write the facts, but then they would, the second two-thirds of every story would be their interpretation, telling us, here's what happened, now we're going to tell you what that means. And then at the end of it, how it related to and was caused by some conservative Republican policies. Oh, and former President Donald Trump. Well, I love this one. New York writers, New York Times writers, are now on the streets in front of the Times building. And if you know anything about that building and where it is and what's going on right now in the Big Apple, it's cold and it's wet and the wind blows. They're on the streets (laughs) and they are picketing out front of the New York Times. Dave Rubin addressed in this morning. Maybe, maybe it was yesterday. He addressed this, uh, this comedy that's going on down there and actually had some of these employees explain why they're picketing the New York Times and what they want. You guys get the New York Times is absolute trash. You remember, they wrote, a, I was on the freaking cover of the New York Times a couple of years ago on a Sunday. Me, Jordan Peterson, Thomas Sowell, Ben Shapiro, Milton Friedman about how we're leading people to the alt-right. Like the whole place is just absolute, it's just horrific trash. Um, but they're having their own problems because uh, not only are they just a awful propaganda network, uh, but their employees are on strike right now. And I wanted to show you this. It's like a minute video from Fox where they started interviewing some of the New York Times employees who are very upset at the New York Times. And you'd think that a place, a New York Times place, a a good progressive organization, you'd think they'd be treating everybody great and things would be going just just cheeky over there. But apparently that's not how it's working out. What are you guys on strike about? We've been at the bargaining table for 20 months now. The company is consistently coming into the bargaining table with proposals that are insulting and unacceptable. The New York Times is making record profits, and the people who make the news need to share in that. It's a variety of issues, but the big things are we haven't had a raise in over two years. What are they not giving you? Uh, They're not giving uh, basic floor wages of $65,000. I'll be honest, I don't know the details that that specifically. We have been working through the entire pandemic without any salary increases at a time of record inflation. Is this about coming back to the office? Um, It's also about coming back to the office. Of course, we also want to make sure that we are protecting people. You know, we're still living through a pandemic. Remote work is part of the negotiations. We find it ridiculous that the company is maintaining this position, that it have the unilateral right to call us back in five days a week. I thought the New York Times respected unions, so what happened there? You'll have to ask them. 
That's an excellent question. I, I would love an answer to that as well. Excellent question. We'd love to hear what the management has to say about that. Yeah, it's a very good question. We thought the New York Times respected unions too. What happens to the New York Times when you guys are on strike? We'll find out. We have said we're not going to write stories. Uh, we have photo people. We have electricians, other people in the building who are not working today. They have to figure it out on their own. I am refusing to write. I'm refusing to respond to edits. I imagine they're having quite a hard time putting uh, the, product, the, the publication together. The New York Times can't run without the people who run the New York Times. And management needs to know that. If you guys are all on strike, who's going to write the fake news? Well, we don't actually think that we write fake news. What an extraordinary collection of whiny losers. Like, well, how else can you describe it? These people, they're so shocked that, that the New York Times is hypocritical, that the same paper that pushes all the stories about unions and how great unions are doesn't want to do it when it comes to its own people. And you can't believe it. The New York Times dares, wants them to come back into the office and these little children pretending we're still in, a, in COVID and pandemic. Everything, it, you all deserve everything you can get. <laughs> uh, you know, did you catch that one of that first, the first people was talking about, uh, we're not getting the wage, the minimum that we should be getting, which is $65,000 a year. I know it's New York City, but you know what's going on there. These people can work from home. I got to be honest with you, somebody could live down the coast a couple of hundred miles and be virtual, work for the New York Times and decrease your overhead by about 50%. And in that scenario, 50 grand a year would be an okay for a writer. And then you heard the wah, wah, they want us to come back to work in office five days a week. Oh my gosh, how could anybody expect us to come into the office five days a week, oh, we'd have to deal with Manhattan traffic and driving in and finding a place to park my car. Oh, oh my gosh, I could, I'd have to ride a train in from, you know, Virginia. Oh, that's horrible. Now you understand why I ended Truth News Network's subscription to the New York Times. Those are the people that were writing the stories, and they don't have a clue about life, about life. Let me give you a clue about life. A 14-year-old and a 16-year-old were killed and others injured after a social media dispute. A social media dispute turned into guns being drawn Shots fired between two groups Saturday night in Democrat-run Atlanta, the New York Times. The New York Times said officers responded to a report that multiple people had been shot at an apartment complex 14 miles southwest of downtown Atlanta. Charles Hampton Jr., the deputy chief of the Atlanta Police Department, said, there was some type of dispute on social media that escalated to gunfire. ABC News reported that arriving officers found two boys, ages 14 and 16, were dead outside an apartment. Three others, a 15-year-old girl, a 15-year-old boy, and an 11-year-old boy were wounded inside the apartment. The deputy chief of Atlanta 
police, Charles Hampton Jr., said he hated having to relay news of the shooting to the press. He said both parties had weapons and said it was evident that multiple people were shooting. Hampton Jr. observed, this should be a time that we're getting ready for the holidays, but we have at least two families that are going to be planning funerals. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where everybody in government, everybody in media's attention should be pointed. We got problems in America, and verbiage in tweeting is not going to change any of that. You just heard. That all started over a a social media argument. Now, what does that mean? That means Americans, especially young Americans like these that were at that congregation, that meeting in Atlanta, too much of our young people's lives are consumed by time that they spent with their noses on their iPhones their Google phones, whatever type of phone they have, and they're in social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Too much time there. And stuff that was being said through social media is what caused those two teenagers to be dead for Christmas this year. And yet these reporters are on the streets, wah, Wah, wah. And they're griping about nothing that has substance. Oh, yeah, everybody wants a raise. Everybody does. But I can tell you this, New York Times money, their revenue is not way up. It's way down, way, way down. In the corporate world, when I hear things like this happening, I've owned several companies, one for 32 years. And I understand what the bottom line is. To have a bottom line, to even have one that's not in brackets in red ink, which means you lost money. If you have one that's in black ink, there's only two ways to get there. You've got two ways to get to a bottom line, period. Revenue and expenses. Revenue is the money that is not billed and out there. Revenue is the actual money that comes through the front door for the goods and services that you're providing to whoever you provide them to. And the expenses is all the cost you have to make whatever your goods or services are that you're selling to people. And you pray and hope that the revenue that comes in is way more than the expense money going out. That is your bottom line. And then when you get to that one, you got to pay the IRS. If you're in New York, you got to pay the state of New York. If you're in Manhattan, then you have to pay Manhattan taxes. And a real bottom line is the number that's left there. I can guarantee you the New York Times is in negative territory. Negative. So let's go back to social media for just a minute. The FBI's National Election Command Post, it's abbreviated the NECP, they sent an email asking its San Francisco field office. Now, this is the FBI. They want their San Francisco office to pressure Twitter 
to censor the right side broadcasting network. I don't know if you know them, but they're a conservative news channel made popular by streaming Trump campaign rallies two days before the 2022 midterm elections. In this email dated November 6th this year, the NECP gave its San Francisco field office a list of 25 accounts, quote, being utilized to spread misinformation about the upcoming election, a list which included that right-side broadcasting network. This FBI office asked the field office to coordinate with Twitter to determine whether the accounts identified below have violated Twitter's term of service and may be subject to any actions deemed appropriate by Twitter. Now, understand this. This email is from the FBI to somebody that works for them, and it's all about censoring Twitter and people that are using Twitter for things that they posted there. That is a freaking violation of the First Amendment. There's no other way to couch it. The federal government cannot abridge free speech using a proxy, which is what they are doing today. They have Twitter, and they're telling Twitter, we want you to censor the right-side broadcasting network. That's illegal. It's unconstitutional. And people should go to jail for that. Listen to what this memo said. The National Election Command Post is requesting assistance from San Francisco regarding coordination with Twitter. Specifically, NECP has been made aware of tweets by certain accounts that may warrant additional action. Why? Due to the accounts being utilized to spread misinformation about the upcoming election. Specifically, NECP is requesting the following. One, coordination between San Francisco and Twitter to determine whether the accounts identified below have violated Twitter's terms of service, which, by the way, is a private company and it's their terms of service. The FBI has no right to even be talking about that. Secondly, the issuance of preservation letters regarding the accounts identified below in order to preserve subscriber information and content information pending the issuance of legal process. In other words, they're threatening. They want the San Francisco office to threaten Twitter that they are contemplating taking legal action because of what is happening or not happening at Twitter. Number three, any location information associated with the accounts that Twitter will voluntarily provide to aid the FBI in assigning any follow-up deemed necessary to the appropriate FBI field office. These emails came to light in the fifth installment of the Twitter files. That was number five, Matthew Taibbi put that one together. Taibbi dubbed this installment Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive, as if it were a subsidiary, wrote Taibbi. Between January 2020 and November 2022, there were over 150 emails between the FBI 
and former Twitter trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. Some are mundane, like San Francisco agent Elvis Chan wishing Roth a happy new year along with a reminder to attend our quarterly call next week. Others are requests for information into Twitter users related to active investigations. But a surprisingly high number are requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low-follower accounts. Taibbi noted that the FBI's involvement in combating misinformation is a relatively recent development. The Foreign Influence Task Force was created in the wake of the 2016 election. This task force swelled to 80 agents and corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. 80 agents, 80 FBI agents. That's what they were doing, folks. They were, on your dime, they were finding ways to censor Twitter users that people higher up in the FBI thought needed to be censored because they were doing what's called misinformation. Now, let me, let me just stop here. I'm, I'm done with this line of conversation. I've got one more that I'm going to bring. But let me tell you what this is all about. You heard Adam Schiff and what he said. You heard what these FBI agents are telling their San Francisco office that they need to squeeze Twitter about. And it's all the term misinformation keeps coming up. What's that all about? What is misinformation? What mis- we, we've, we've said it and we've been quoting people about that to that. Let me, uh, here's what we're going to do. Let's go find misinformation. Let's see how that's defined. It'll give you several sources. Here's mis- misinformation. Wikipedia, not to be confused with disinformation or misinformation effect. Misinformation is incorrect or misleading information. It differs from disinformation, which is deliberately deceptive. Rumors are information not attributed to any particular source, and so are unreliable and often unverified, but can turn out to be either true or false. Even if later retracted, misinformation can continue to influence actions and memory. People may be more prone to believe misinformation because they are emotionally connected to what they are listening to or are reading. The role of social media has made information readily available to us at any time And it all connects vast groups of people along with their information at one time. Advances in technology has impacted the way we communicate information and the way misinformation is spread. Misinformation has impacts on our society's ability to receive information, which then influences our communities, our politics, and our medical field. There you go. Misinformation. What does this all boil down to? What's there? I mean, what's going on? 
They keep saying, they being the left, news media, social media, and I'm going to put the FBI over there with them. I used to put Twitter over them with them, but Elon Musk now sits alone in a bubble with Twitter. I hope he doesn't give control of Twitter up to any fledgling. I hope he doesn't. That's in the making, and I'm afraid he will. He's tired of all of the backlash he gets every time. He just sends the public so that we can see what Twitter has been doing behind the scenes, proving what many of us suspected. But let's go back to misinformation. You know why this word was invented? And it was invented to serve a particular purpose. And what is that? Somebody in every circumstance, some person or some group of people have the unilateral authority and right to determine what is and what is not misinformation. Somebody. And I guarantee you, if you are a conservative-thinking American or maybe a conservative-thinking immigrant, doesn't matter, if you are a conservative-thinking person that, when I say conservative-thinking, here's what I mean. You believe in the U.S. Constitution. You believe in the rule of law. You believe when someone gives an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution and to enforce the rule of law and to abide by the laws and the Constitution, that they should be held to that. By jingos, they should be held to that. And when they don't, they certainly shouldn't be serving in a federal, state, or local political office, period, of every kind. But they should be held to account for the instances and when they personally violate their oath of office or violate any of the laws that they guaranteed us they were going to protect us by enforcing, and they don't. The problem is misinformation, it's kind of like the difference between equality and equity. In equality, nobody can touch it. It exists in a vacuum. All it means is that everything's the same at least in what it can do. Nobody can change that. They don't like that word. The left hates the word equality. Why is that? Because equality can't be manipulated. But guess what can? Equity. Information cannot be manipulated. That's factual, and facts stand alone. But misinformation must be manipulated by somebody's opinion. So who has the opinion that should be used in the case of the determination if something is misinformation? Well, it's certainly not one of those evil conservatives. Ho, ho, ho. It's whoever's in charge in the federal government. And right now, it's all Democrats. So they have the unilateral authorization to determine what is and what is not misinformation. And you can bet your bippy that if you're a conservative, 99 and 9 tenths percent of what you think, and when every situation comes up in the news and you're looking at it, 
And if you're watching it on ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, or CNN, what they say, that's information. What you think is misinformation, and worse than that, the FBI has empowered Twitter to make that a fact and make you pay the price for misinformation that you think and in a vacuum is information, is fact, is truth. But truth doesn't matter today. Social media, in government, and in big tech media, what the purveyors that have the authority to put out what they want to put out, and because it's them putting it out, we must accept it and process it and make it part of our lives. They're the ones that determine what is and what isn't misinformation. You must abide by their definition of everything. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Now I'm going to unload one on you, something that uh, probably going to shock many. Others will say, so what? Well, Joe Biden has done something that uh, when I tell you about it, put it in perspective of what if Donald Trump had done the same thing? And rather than Biden, who has done something with communist China, Donald Trump had done it. With Russia, Vladimir Putin, we all know. Oh, the equity purveyors, they told us, so that means it's factual. Donald Trump was put in office by Vladimir Putin. Well, if that's the case, then Xi Jinping was the guy who put Biden in office as president, and Joe Biden simply doing some payback 
for what Xi Jinping did for him. President Biden's energy department reportedly funneling $10 million to a China-backed green energy company. And those funds were sent over after the company partnered with a Chinese oil conglomerate that just so happened to receive $1.7 billion in investments from Hunter Biden's private equity firm back in 2015. Dr. Kevin Roberts, president of the Heritage Foundation, joins us now. Dr. Roberts, some people would look at that timing and say it's suspicious. <laughs> to say the least. And, you know, I, I was thinking this morning as I was reading the facts of this for the third time that it's like we're living in a dystopian novel. But I'm, I'm sorry. I really am sorry as a proud American to report it's all true. And the reason it's true is that this administration has set up an annex of the White House in Beijing and two subsidiaries of that CCP-owned petroleum company are, are running basically these efforts. And so Hunter Biden has got to be investigated. Thankfully, the House Republicans are coming in with those plans. But I'll also say this, Carly, it's really important to note. There are rank and file agents in the FBI who are aware of what's going on, and we need them to stand up and do what's right for America and throw the flag and say, it is time to bring this administration to account. The Heritage Foundation will always give them cover with our great analysts and researchers, and this is a cause of American national security. Yeah, you know, on the one hand, the president is spending billions of dollars on the Chips and Sciences Act uh, to compete with China. And then on the other, he now has a history of giving money to companies with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Is that normal? Because that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> no, it's, it's not normal at all. I mean, j just in case someone's watching and wondering about that, it is completely unprecedented. It, it likely is towing the line of treason, a word that I, I don't use lightly. You know that at Heritage, we wouldn't say something like that if there weren't substance for it. And I want to be clear, it's really important when the House Republicans come into office in a few weeks that they have an agenda that's aspirational about the future and not 100 percent about investigations. But in this case, for obvious reasons, it's really clear they need to use the power of oversight and the power of investigations to, as my colleagues like to say, show the receipts. And then we actually need to do something about it, going back to my point about the FBI also doing the right thing. Dr. Roberts, uh, let's talk about what's going on in California. There are three different guaranteed income initiatives in San Francisco that exclude white residents. And the initiatives are the Black Economic Equity Movement, which provides $500 a month exclusively to black young adults. There's also the Abundant Birth Project, which gives 1000 bucks to a month to black and Pacific Islander mothers, and the Guaranteed Income for Transgender People Program, which will dole out $1,200 a month and prioritize enrollment of trans gender, black, indigenous, or people of color. And now you have lawyers that are saying, hey, hang on a second, there are laws that ban programs that favor one race over the other. So is this legal? <laughs> it's not only not legal, it's sad, it's, it's tragic, and I would even say that it's evil for this reason. You know, I'm a historian. You remember sitting in, in history classes, Carly, where hopefully your teacher or professor said one of the greatest achievements in the United States of America is the 14th Amendment. 620,000 fellow Americans gave their lives over a conflict, the Civil War, that produced, thankfully, the 14th Amendment. It is considered by 
historians, political scientists across the political spectrum are crowning achievement. What something like this in San Francisco does is say all of that should be thrown out. And it should be thrown out because now they want to, as they would say, define everyone by their race or by being transgender. This is precisely the kind of thing that's wrong with modern America. And not to mention that just on the economic side, when you guarantee people an income, guess what they don't do? They don't work. show up for work. Yeah. So there's nothing about this that makes sense. You're absolutely right. If the issue of do government handouts really benefit low-income people, making them more reliant on the federal government, historically it seems to not be beneficial. Dr. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. A couple of things come to light there. Number one is giving money away. When you give money away rather than give people an opportunity to earn money, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, they'll get it and spend it, but it's like, hey, they gave that to me because of my skin color, because I decide to identify as transgender. And so they owe me that, and they don't care for it. I was always taught, my grandfather taught me, he, he, he would say, Danny, I'll give you some money to go to the store or whatever. He wasn't in town very often. He uh, was a heavy equipment operator in the Middle East, and he would go over on a contract that was like six months long, come home for a, a couple of weeks, and then go back again. But he was a business guy, and he thought things through business-wise. He had that perspective. And he said, if I give you this, you're going to spend it. You'll be thankful for it, but when you finish whatever, and I see or you buy something at the store when that's done, it won't mean anything to you. But if you do something, if you work for it, if you and back then I was mowing lawns. He said, look, you mow lawns, so the money you get when you mow that lawn for the neighbors, it really means something to you, means more to you because you work for it. But these handouts to these Californians, these San Francisco, that's, that's a lunacy. There is no justification for doing that. And you heard the term, their justification, equity. Equity. Equity is something that somebody decides is fair. Inequity is the opposite of that. And there are so many Americans that are just jumping on that bandwagon for one reason and one reason only. Somebody's going to give me something. But nothing is free. There's a cost that comes with everything, and someone must pay the cost. So let's use that philosophy on the first part of what you just heard, and that is that Joe Biden is sending money to a Chinese company that is a subsidiary of that big CEFC company that Hunter Biden flying over on Air Force Two with his then-Vice President father, now President Joe Biden, he was there, and Hunter Biden negotiated a $1.7 billion contract for his, quote-unquote, investment company. And Hunter had just started this company and had no experience in investments. And now the president is sending $5 million to a subsidiary of that company for a business relationship. You know, 
I'll throw out the old South Louisiana terminology for you. When you look at something, if it quacks and it waddles, about 99% of the time it is a duck. And this guy from the Heritage Foundation, Heritage Foundation is very conservative, but they're very cautious. When they put out information, they make darn sure what they say is factual. He used the treason word, which I was shocked when I heard this. That's one reason why I wanted to bring it to you today. Heritage Foundation never says anything like that. But in this case, he said what? Biden is doing is amazingly close to treason. And do you know what the only penalty in the Constitution for wrongdoing is set? You know what it is for treason? Death. Death penalty. Now, do you think any sitting president or any former president of the United States would ever be put to death for committing treason? There's no way. But if you put that in the context of what this president is doing, it definitely tells you how serious our founders felt about treason. And there are people that have been put to death for treason. Should we go back to that? That's up to somebody with a higher pay grade than me to make a decision on, even if it's true. But if the Heritage Foundation claims that the purposes for doing that and the details of doing it are dangerously close to an act of treason, I think that warrants somebody in law enforcement to look into. Unfortunately for us, That means Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI and his minions at the FBI, and you and I both know they're not going to do anything. They're not going to investigate Joe Biden at all. Period. Not going to happen. If you didn't stay up Friday night, on a Hannity show Friday, House Oversight Committee Ranking Member Representative James Comer, he's from Kentucky, he reacted to the latest Twitter file release that came out on late Friday stating that investigations of big tech will go beyond Twitter to Facebook and Google and also saying the entire FBI needs to be dismantled. We just need to start over. We need to enact some strict reforms. There need to be checks and balances at the FBI. And that fixing the agency and holding it accountable begins with the budget process, which is why the push for an omnibus bill is aggravating. Follow me. Comer then said, my concern was that this was a rogue FBI employer too. But what we found today is the FBI had its own ministry of propaganda. This is serious, he said. What else are they involved in at the FBI? The entire FBI needs to be dismantled. We need to start all over. We need to enact strict reforms. There need to be checks and balances. Host Tammy Bruce then said, I trust, though, that you are going to expand this beyond Twitter. You mentioned Google. You mentioned perhaps Facebook. Are you going to expand and include those platforms, which we also know, at least from Mark Zuckerberg, He, too, was contacted 
by the FBI. I think we only know a portion of that. Are you going to expand on this investigation? Comer's response, yes. This is going to take several committees focusing a lot on attention. Big tech is going to be a priority for the Republican majority. Comer concluded that the FBI was involved in censorship. They've stepped in where the government does not belong, and this must end. People have to be held accountable. We're going to have to start with the budget. That's what is so frustrating about what's going on right now in Washington. Now, let me just weigh in here with some opinion. I like what I hear from Comer. I think he's right on with some of the things that he said, but look, We've got, a, we're, we've got a new House of Representatives coming in to office on January 3rd. The House of Representatives has a massive responsibility for government oversight. So they're the ones that will be calling the FBI to account for what they did that in many cases was illegal. And let alone all of it was unrighteous and should have never been done. They've got to do that. They've got to hold those people accountable. But let me tell you what my big concern is, is that government doesn't move. It doesn't enact new and ingenuous things and processes, new regulations and laws that they would use to pull the plug on the unilateral operations that are emitting from this White House that Joe Biden is doing, much of which is spending money he has no authority to spend. Somebody's got to cut it off. Somebody's got to cut him off. But then after the cutoff happens, what are we going to do? How do we, we can't just terminate the FBI without having a process in place to replace the very significant and necessary things that the FBI is doing now. Maybe they're not doing it enough, but those two operations must be simultaneous. And can the House do both? And it's not just the FBI. They say they're going after Google. They're going after Facebook. You know how long government investigations last. We don't have that much time. We need to get this stuff looked at, straightened out, and if we need to replace it with something, by jingos, let's replace it. Now, something that's going on right now is getting things in place for government spending. I'm talking about government spending, not on Social Security and Medicare, those things. I'm talking about Regular government expenses, people writing checks for policies and stuff like that. Rand Paul, over the weekend, he went nuts about what the Congress is doing. A budget coming up. Yeah, right. It's a spending bill is all it is. Here's Rand Paul. The Democrats and uh, big government Republicans will be offering you a Christmas tree. Christmas tree in Washington is a bill that has something on it for everyone. You won't know what it is until you get it. You won't be able to read it until it's done. But it will happen because the only thing that invariably happens in Washington is they will get together to spend money. Democrats and big government Republicans every year pass a budget. 
But it's a budget that, uh, or a spending bill that has no budget. It'll be a spending bill in which everything is glommed together in one bill. It'll be a spending bill thousands of pages long, and no one will have read it. No one will have encompassed the entire bill, and it'll be given with only hours to read it, and then there'll be a reversal of blame. The blame won't attach to the people who, frankly, I wouldn't put in charge of running a Minute Mart because of their lack of business sense. It won't attach to people who put together, cobbled together a multi-thousand page bill in the dead of night, didn't show it to anyone, and put it forward. They will say, no, if you vote no, you are for shutting down the government. I, frankly, am not for shutting down the government, but I'm, frankly, for spending less money and accumulating less debt. As Senator Johnson said, we're the largest financial entity in the United States. I don't know some guy who owns or some woman who owns three gas stations in a minute mark that doesn't have a budget and doesn't have outlays and doesn't have a plan for how they're going to do the spending. They don't cobble it together and say to the board of directors, oh, here it is. You can read it after you pass it. So this is a nightmare way to run the government. I won't participate in it, and I will tell them that it's a rotten, no good way to run a country. The only way that's ever going to change, folks, he can't do it. Rand Paul can't do it. Uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she could do it, but she's not going to do it. Mitch McConnell, he's the minority leader in the Senate. He and Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader over there, they could do it. They're not going to do it. Why is that? They don't look at government. Not a single one of them have ever been involved in business. You get that. Nancy Pelosi's only job has ever been politics. Mitch McConnell's only job has ever been Politics. Chuck Schumer's only job has ever been politics. Joe Biden's job has never been anything but politics. They don't understand that when you spend money and you don't have the money in the bank when you write the check, you're going to overdraw your account at the bank. And the bank, if they let you, if they pay that, and they let you, they're going to charge you out the wazoo. Penalties for making that check and depositing it or sending to someone. But then also, interest and fees going forward. None of those people understand what that means. Somebody's got to pay the bill eventually. And I'm sure each of those that I mentioned, every one of them, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden. I guarantee you this thought has crossed their minds. It'll never be paid in my lifetime, so I'm not going to sweat it. I don't really care. That's a hard thing to say, but give me another logical reason for it. Give me another answer that makes sense. That one, to me, is very obvious. Rand Paul actually pointed it out there. He wasn't up there thumping uh, a podium and screaming and hollering like he does sometimes, but what he said was riddled with facts. Nobody's going to see this omnibus bill. They'll give it to their counterparts the night before. It'll be a couple of thousand pages. And if you've ever read a government bill, the content is never included in black and white in bullet points. It's never that way. One section will refer to this other piece of legislation and it gives a, a name of a, a bill, the bill number and the section and the subsection and the sub-subsection. 
anybody that would really want to know what's in that bill would take days, if not weeks or months, to get the facts in a bullet point format. Wouldn't it be nice for us taxpayers, the ones that pay the bills? Wouldn't it be nice for us to actually be able to look at something that they're considering and they're about to pass, which they will pass this omnibus bill. There are enough people in the Republican Party. We On Friday, we played you those snippets of those lawmakers that are leaving Congress, and in the omnibus bill that's being proposed, there is $16 billion of it is giveaways for these lawmakers that are retiring and leaving office for their homes and states. That, and they're laughing about it. They don't care. They're leaving. And their fellow lawmakers, they know, hey, when someday when I leave, I want my fellow lawmakers to do this for me so I can go out with a bang and tell people in my state, look what I did for you. Oh my gosh, you should owe me forever. That's going on, and they don't care. Washington, D.C., those in lawmaker, in large part, don't give a rip about the policies that they implement, the laws that they make, and the stuff they let this executive branch do. They don't really care what the cost is to the people that are paying all the bills, American taxpayers. They don't relate to you. I mean, you think about it. What a, and and I, I'm not diminishing politicians. I'm not diminishing the government and operating the government, the importance of it, the way it's structured as compared to the way it's run. It stinks. It's nauseating. But government has to run. It has to be there. There have to be people there that do it. But we keep screaming and hollering and crying and begging for every two years. We need people that will honor their oaths of office from the White House on down. Everybody needs to honor the commitments they make when they're campaigning, do the things that they say they will do while they're campaigning when they're elected, And if they're not doing what they promised they would do, they need to be removed from office as quickly as possible. We need those processes to work in every instance. But I'll be honest with you. People in the federal government have figured out, you know what? They're not going to hold us accountable for that. They're not going to do it because the process is long and arduous and it takes a lot of time, and they know. Yeah, we, Joe Biden said it. He actually made the statement. I forget what specific policy it was that he put out there, some executive decision that he put out there. And he laughed about it when he signed it, and he said, I know the court's going to say this is unconstitutional, but it'll take a long time. So while we're waiting for the Supreme Court, for whatever litigation to get to the Supreme Court, and an answer from the Supreme Court that at the earliest would be the summer of 2023. We'll just go ahead and do it. We can do a lot of damage between now and then, and there won't be anything they can do about it. 
that thought process, he said that publicly. Now think about having a president that honestly feels that way. That will frost you. Go grab another cup of coffee. We're going to wrap this thing up right after this. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equip. We are the college at the forefront of innovative education. We are outstanding faculty teaching in cutting-edge classrooms and facilities. We are students learning powerful skills for tomorrow's workforce. And together... We are Triton. Register today. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. You know, we've heard that for a good while from Pete Moss, Stygian River, S-T-Y-G-I-A-N. I have no clue where it is or what that reference is, but it sounds kind of neat, doesn't it? <laughs> Over the weekend, Fox News host Laura Ingraham, <laughs> that's the way she spells it. Uh, there are people, some people that mention it, Ingraham, they pronounce it to degrade her in some way, but she, she's somebody that is very substantive. She was speaking out at Turdy Point USA, their big convention. Um, have it every year in Arizona. The, the people that put it on and hosted are really good friends. Anyway, she was speaking and she said that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was one of the main factors that led Republicans losing the Senate, called on the GOP to stop criticizing party nominees before the elections. I'm not going to name names of who, you know, the type of people who kind of trash our candidates a few months before the election, she said Saturday night, before coughing McConnell. 
She then impersonated McConnell saying, ah, come on, Laura, that's not fair. I'm very conservative. You ever get the sense that the old turtles, the old dinosaurs in the GOP, think about what they did in these midterms? You hear about, well, the Senate leadership spent all this money. They spent tens of millions. Think about the other stuff they did. You know, they mucked around in New Hampshire supporting the candidate that was not obviously going to be the nominee. The powers that be did not like Blake Masters in Arizona. They obviously hated Herschel Walker in Georgia. Imagine if we backed our people like they backed their people. Masters was running for Senate in Arizona. He pinned blame on McConnell for spending a bunch of money in Alaska in order to feed another Republican instead of spending more money in the tight Arizona race. The people who control the purse strings, Senate Leadership Fund, Mitch McConnell, McConnell decided to spend millions attacking a fellow Republican in Alaska instead of helping me defeat Senate Senator Mark Kelly, Masters said. Had he chosen to spend money in Arizona, this race would be over. We'd be celebrating a Senate majority right now. So McConnell expressed some private concerns about Walker's candidacy early in the campaign before endorsing him just a week before the election. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. The people of Georgia decided who should be their representatives, not the leader of the minority in the House of Representatives. Good for Laura. I'm glad she stood up to that. Well, well, well. We're going to go do our Monday before Christmas thing. You too. We'll see you tomorrow. Just like the ones I used to know